Lord Jesus, let us ever walk with you. And teach us this morning what it means to reform our priorities in line with your will and your word for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I begin my message this morning, I just want to mention that in the pew rack in front of you, there is this little piece of paper and at the top it says sermon notes. If you want to jot any notes about the message, feel free. But I'm bringing it to your attention particularly because at one point in the message this morning, I'm going to ask you to write down the nine things that are going to appear on the screen uh, and, and uh, we're going to do a little exercise with what you write down. So just have a pen or a pencil handy and a piece of paper in j- for just a few moments from now. Last Sunday we began a new sermon series entitled, Always Reforming. As you probably are aware, this year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. But the point that we're making in this sermon series is that Reformation didn't just take place 500 years ago. No, God is always reforming His people. And in this series, we're taking a look at different aspects of our lives in which God desires to be at work in bringing about reform, change, improvement, if you will. Last Sunday, Pastor John began this series with a focus on the reforming of our inner life, our heart, soul, and mind, with the starting point really being our thinking. For as we think, so then we tend to act reforming our thinking. Today's theme is reforming our priorities. You know, if you think about it, we make decisions regarding our priorities every single day. At work, at your jobs, you have various projects ahead of you and it requires you to prioritize tasks in order to get things done on time. You who are students at school, You have to set priorities about your schoolwork. If you've been given a homework assignment and you have one hour of study time, you have a choice to make. You either take that time to study and do that homework or you use that hour to play video games or some other activity, right? We all have to set priorities in our daily living. It's true in our family and home activities as well. Well, I would like you to, for a a few moments here, watch a video which kind of points out that it's important about setting priorities and getting those things straight. Watch the screens, please.
The video makes a good point about priorities, doesn't it? You have to get the big things in first. And that calls for some reforming of our priorities. Let me start off with this question to you. What are the big things that deserve your time and your effort? We're going to be exploring priorities more in depth this morning. And you know, when you think about priorities, we recognize, first of all, priorities involve our time, the investment of our time. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We really only have a limited amount of time to live on this planet. And how we use our time says something about our priorities. How we use our time says something about what really is important to us. Likewise, our priorities involve our actions. Our actions. Even Mahatma Gandhi acknowledged a very basic principle of of life in general when he said, action expresses priorities. Action expresses priorities. In other words, what we do indicates what it is we consider important. The actions that we take give some kind of a signal about what we think is important to us. Now, St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, puts all of this in a spiritual perspective as he says these words, Be very careful, then, how you live. There's the action, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Priorities involve our actions, what we do. And thirdly, priorities involve our value choices, the things that we put value on. And this is where I'd like you to take out that little piece of paper that I was talking about, a pen or a pencil, and I'm going to put nine things up on the screen here, and I'd like you to write each of these things down. Now, I'll I'll talk a little bit about each one here to give you time to write them down. And we're going to do a little exercise with this, okay? The first thing uh, that I put on the, li- on the list here is our automobiles, our cars. Now, I should say all nine of these things are things that probably we all value. We all think are important to us. They help us in our life. And so, yeah, cars, the ability to be mobile to have the freedom to go wherever we want to go in this great country. We value our cars, don't we? The second thing up there is marriage or family. Whether you're married or not, your family is certainly an important value to you. Marriage and family. Thirdly, I decided to put up on this list the ability to see your sight, your vision. Just think what life would be like if we could not see anything. Wow. What a blessing it is to have our vision, to see the marvels of God's creation, to be able to see one another. What a gift that is. The next thing is your health, your well-being. We treasure our health that enables us to be able to function to full capacity. Hobbies are an important thing to us. Life wouldn't be a lot of fun if all we did is work all the time. A well-rounded life involves avocations, hobbies, fun activities, 
that uh, uh, bring joy to our life. Investments. Our investments are important. Our saving for the future, our providing for our family long term. We value our investments, don't we? Your job is certainly important to you. The ability to earn an income and provide for those you love. Your faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior, which assures you not only the forgiveness of sins, but eternal life in heaven. And then the last thing I put up there is your house. What a gift it is to have a comfortable, safe place to live, a shelter in which not only you dwell, but God dwells with you. All right, those are the nine things I decided to put up for you. Nine things we value. Here's the little exercise we're going to do, and I'm going to ask you to do this on your own. You don't have to show this to anybody else. And secondly, I want you to know this is just hypothetical. You don't actually have to do what I'm about to uh, to walk you through, okay? But I want you to imagine that we have all nine of these things in our life, and now you have to get rid of two of them. What two would that be? Strike those two out on your list. You have to get rid of two of these things, and you only have the other seven. What would those two things be? Cross them out. All right, now you have seven things, and now you have to get rid of two more. What would those be? Cross them out. I know this is not easy. It gets harder as we go, doesn't it? Now you have five things remaining, five things you value. And now I'm going to ask you to have to get rid of two more of those things. Strike out two more. You should have three things you value the most on your list. Of those three things that remain, take away one of them. What would that be? Cross it out. Now you have two things remaining. And now you have to take away one and keep one. Which one are you going to get rid of? Which one are you going to keep? My sincere hope is that the one thing remaining on your piece of paper there is your faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior. Because that's the one thing that lasts into eternity beyond this life. It's the one thing that takes you all the way to heaven. I pray that that is your number one priority. Jesus said in Matthew 16, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Is anything more important than our faith? In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the necessities of this life will be provided as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In that Old Testament reading we heard a moment ago from Joshua chapter 24, we hear the man Joshua uh, issue a challenge to Israel. Now here's a little review. Joshua, of course, was the, the successor to Moses. Moses had led the people out of slavery from Egypt, led them through the wilderness, got them close to the Jordan River, but Moses died and was buried on Mount Nebo, and Joshua became his successor. And Joshua is the one that led them into the promised land of Canaan. They settled in Canaan and were there for many years, and Joshua then got to be an old man. 
And near the end of Joshua's life, he gathers the people together at the town of Shechem. And he does this in order to renew the covenant. To renew the covenant that God had made with his people at Mount Sinai many years earlier. He knew that he wanted to do this because a problem had arisen among the people of Israel. That many of the people had given their hearts allegiance to other gods, pagan gods, gods of some of their ancestors. You may remember that their ancestor Abraham, before he became a follower of the true God, when he lived in Mesopotamia, in Babylonia, he worshipped the pagan gods of that area, including the moon god. The people of Israel were at times picking up idols related to these false gods, including the gods from Egypt and the gods of the Canaanites, the Amorites who lived in the land where they were living now. And this was a problem. So Joshua gathers the people and he issues them this challenge. And as I read this challenge, notice that wherever it uses the word Lord, in English it's in all capital letters, the Hebrew word behind the word Lord in capitals is the name Yahweh, the personal name for God. So in your English Bible, whenever you see L-O-R-D all in capitals, the word behind it is Yahweh. So when I read this, where it says Lord, I'm going to say Yahweh. Follow along. Joshua says to the people, Now, fear Yahweh and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve Yahweh. But if serving Yahweh seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. What is Joshua doing here? Basically, he is issuing a call to allegiance. He is challenging the people to pledge their allegiance to the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And really what he's doing is, isn't anything new. He's simply calling the people to return to the first commandment that God had given them at Mount Sinai. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall have no other gods besides me. You know, if you ponder those words, you can almost hear a little jealousy on God's part. I like to call it a holy jealousy. God has a holy jealousy for us, His people. I think there's something similar involved in marriage between a husband and wife. For in marriage, when you make that commitment, you pledge to be spouse to this one person as long as you both shall live. And with that, com that commitment comes this pledge, you see. And with it comes what I would consider a holy jealousy that rightly is in place in marriage. You committed to each other. You are to stay committed to each other as long as you both shall live. There is a holy jealousy with God. 
In Exodus 20, verse 5, he says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I think it's interesting that in the Hebrew language, the word for jealous is the same as the word for zealous. Zealous. God is zealous about our relationship with him. God is both jealous and zealous about his relationship with you as his beloved child. He desires that you be in personal relationship with him first and foremost. So let me ask this question. What kind of gods are competing for your allegiance today? What kind of gods are competing for your allegiance? Back in antiquity, as we said, it was those those pagan gods and, and people would shape idols to worship them. Well, we may not have those around us today, but believe you me, there are plenty of false gods around us. We can make anything our God. In fact, Martin Luther even said, whatever is most important to you, that is your God. Whatever is most important to you, that is your God. Jesus had something to say about priorities. We heard it in the gospel lesson for today. And these are straightforward words that really kind of hit you right in the face, don't they? Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus isn't discounting the value of relationships. He isn't talking down the value of marriage. No, he affirms marriage and family and relationships, of course. But here he's talking about priorities. What's number one in your life? Let me ask you, is Jesus number one on your priority list? If not, isn't it time for reform? Isn't this the biggest thing that needs to go into your priority jar before anything else? Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you that you might have eternal life. After all, if you think about it, God made you his number one priority. Imagine that. The God of the universe made you his number one priority. At just the right time, there's the time factor. God took action, there's the action factor. And he sent his son to be your savior and mine. He valued you and me so much, it was at the cost of his son's life. He put you at the top of his priority list. And gave his son for you. And it's at the cross, you see, that we can see God's top priority. It's it's our salvation. It's the gift of eternal life. How did Jesus say it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What could be more valuable than that? Do you believe in Jesus? as your Savior? I know many of you do. And if that is the case, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, 
then the rest of your life is all about allowing God the Holy Spirit to reform all the rest of your priorities and to shape and mold you more and more into the image of Christ, to be more and more like Jesus. Now let's be clear. God, of course, accepts you right where you are right now. But He loves you enough not to leave you there. He wants to take you further down the road of growth in your faith walk with Him. And so allow Him to do that. Allow Him to sanctify you through and through by the Holy Spirit working through the Word and the sacraments. Let Him reform you and your priorities in accord with His Word and His will for your life. Friends, may each and every one of us be able to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, your loving Savior. Amen.